0: This week on The Average Outdoorsman, Mike and Tim sit down with Mike Lindahl of Domain Outdoors to discuss food plots and tactics. Hey Mike, how's it going?
1: Not too bad. Uh, big weekend last weekend.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it feels good to be back in studio. It's been a couple, uh, you know, a week or so and but yeah, we did have a big big weekend this last weekend. Uh, we got
1: uh, our first dirt turned of 2021 on the food plots, so yeah. it was a uh, it was an exciting weekend. Um,
0: broke in some new equipment. I
1: broke in and broke some some new, some new, equipment, some new equipment, um, equipment. Able to fix it all in the field, so not too bad. Only a couple hundred bucks in repair parts, but uh, it was awesome. Uh, got the new tractors out, got the new implements out, and everything to, ran to, exactly how we wanted it to and
0: if we didn't uh, have breakdowns and, and some some stalling in the field we uh, we would have been done I think what we turn about 15 acres worth of dirt I
1: think it was about 15 acres uh, we did it in running time probably I don't know seven hours but I mean it's we're pretend farmers like, yeah. I, that's what my wife calls us we're <laughs> exactly. pretend farmers we exactly. don't know what we we're try doing. really
0: hard yeah uh, it, it's fun for us we you know it's a it's always a weekend we get the boys down there. Maybe have a beer or two, turn yep. some dirt, mm-hmm. usually argue on what we're going to end up doing for the year, but it all comes out pretty good. So. Oh, yeah. But that leads us right in. We're excited to uh, we're excited for this episode. Um, we're, we'll be talking food plots on this episode, and we have a, uh, a guest with us, um, Mike Lindahl, Lindahl. Is it Lindahl? Lindahl, yeah. Lindahl. Uh, he is with uh, Domain Food Plots. He um, is the owner. Are you co-owner?
2: Yeah, co-owner. Yep. Okay.
0: Yep. Awesome. Well, um, we're excited to have you here to pick your brain a little bit with, uh, with a guy that knows food plot seed a little better than we do. So um,
1: we do use their products pretty much, pretty much exclusively now. Yeah. Um, we tried them last year. Fantastic success. That plot is our best looking plot going into 2021. So, a, um, on the farms, that's, that's exclusively what, what, what we're using, um,
0: outside of our, outside of our crop, our crops. Yeah. yeah
1: what we're yeah, putting in for row and crops. Corn, and,
0: yeah. Um, but everything else. Yeah, is we can't good. help you there anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so everything else has been domain and, and going into 2021 we we're, we have some ideas of what we want to do. And so that's kind of what this is going to be about picking your brain a little bit and, and hopefully you can, help us out and and, get and us help to the work. listeners out too help yeah I mean
1: uh out. you know with it, spending time in the field and getting in into your plots is you know when you get started it can kind of feel like an arduous task like you know there's so many different options so many different companies and and every you know every different company says different things what you should do what you shouldn't do and and that's kind of what we want to cover in this and and Mike, so what we kind of want to do with you, we want to kind of just, you know, talk about where you got your start into this, where domain seed, kind of that that idea for the that company, child came yeah, from. where that came from, and then where you guys are today.
2: <laughs> you sure you want to up close and personal look into my brain? That's a, that's a, that's a scary place to go. I hear you. But but no, thanks guys for having me on. This is this is what I love to do. So this is a lot of fun. And um, I, I also want to want to say too. I mean your food plot success was likely um, also as much, you know, your credit as anyone's because you probably took the steps to make sure your soil was where it needed to be and seed depth was right. And and all of those things. So um, yeah, I I appreciate, I appreciate getting some of the credit for the seed. Uh, (laughs) We we did actually, and obviously go ahead. No, as you said, obviously we've, (laughs) we've only sourced the best, but, It's as much you as it is us. So that's the fun part.
1: Yeah, I mean, top to bottom, I mean, we've used Domain's products. Um, We did soil testing. You know, we haven't really done all the soil testing that we probably should have. Um, Sure. We know the farmers in our valley. Uh, We know the two farms on either side of us, and they've told us, you know, like I said, we're pretend farmers, so we kind of, you know, we lean likewise. on them a little bit. We we bump shoulders with them. We're like, hey, what are you guys doing on your farm? What's <laughs> your pH? And they look
0: at us like we don't test our we don't test we yeah don't test it. And and so we we haven't in the past, but we we did last year, and we did again this year.
1: We're in that six and a half seven range, depending on the plot. So we know we're on the higher end of pH. Yeah. So we don't have to do it. We don't have to do much in terms of that.
2: I was gonna say if, if I'm, if I know where you're hunting. You're you're in a, an area of Wisconsin that's actually got better soil than some. So Yeah, we, we lucked out when it came to that. That's yeah. for sure. That, but, that was a good thing. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it it saves us a lot of time and a lot of money on uh on you know nutrients we have to add to the, we would have to add to the ground if we had yep, to. But. And I mean
2: that's a step that a lot of um, first time food plotters skip. Um, pH is kind of an afterthought um many people including myself the first few plots they planted um ph wasn't even you know anything we considered so um
0: for for a long time when i first started food planting i didn't even really know what ph meant or what it was
2: yeah you know maybe a sixth grade biology class (laughs) or a chemistry class i mean when would you have heard about it right not biology but chemistry but yeah so i mean it's one of those things where it's probably the number one food plot pitfall um, is not, not knowing to test your pH and or not testing it. And then say you live in central Wisconsin in the sand belt, thanks to the The glaciers back in the day and you're sitting at a five pH in sandy soil. Um, You get great germination after you plant and wonder why your, your food plot fizzled out. I mean, the the reason pH is so important is because it's, as it gets to seven or neutral uh, it allows plants to absorb the nutrients available. So, um, you know, it's a, it's the first step and the most important step because it, it really, at the end of the day will determine your success.
0: So what do you consider an ideal
2: pH level? I mean, six, seven, seven, seven. seven.
1: seven. 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 Okay.
2: Seven. Yep. Point oh. per, yeah. On the, on the scale, um, seven point is neutral. That means, um, that, all of the nutrients available, whether it be organically or through fertilizer you provide, can be absorbed by the plant. Um, As you become more acidic, so anything below a 7 would be acidic. Anything above that would be alkaline. So as you become more acidic, which, um, say, pines or um, swamp ground, uh, the environment sometimes kind of controls or dictates the pH. But as it becomes more acidic, so say your your pH is a 5, uh, you're literally going to waste half of the fertilizer that you put down because the plant won't have the ability to absorb it. Wow!
1: wow. Yeah, that's that's so, that's an important thing, I guess. If you're starting right there, if you're looking at doing food plots, start with your pH. Test your soil. You guys, can yeah, get... and,
2: and I. Nope. So I was, sorry, I had to cut you off. That's all right. I was going to say, and even if you're not going to amend it, if you're not going to put lime down, it, it gives you an understanding of what you're working with. Um, some plants work better in lower pH soils than others too. So it it at least gives you options and understanding and a, a kind of a foundation from which to work.
1: Yeah, I'm on your uh, I'm on the website right now, and you guys have a great you know food plot selector right on your website domainoutdoor.com, um, and that's where we went to get our our uh, soil testing kit. So you guys made it super easy. You know, ordered a couple of them. We came right to my door, and I could, I'm in Wisconsin, so I got them. Two days later, Probably, um, yeah.
2: <laughs> so we,
1: uh, and it's yeah, just get a little bit of distilled water, some soil, and and do your test, and it it, you know, within a matter of minutes, you have your your result. And we knew we didn't have to do anything, but we do have a couple other properties where we know we have to alter some stuff and and go, you know, to our local um, co-op and get some lime and get some mineral and, and do what we got to do. But um, on our main pro- main property, we we're good, so that's why we've had good. Uh, good food plot growth.
0: And, and so do you, when looking at pH, does that somewhat dictate where you're going to put a food plot to begin with? If you go to, well, a, into I mean, an area and it's either really high, you know, alkaline or acidic, are, are you going to move away from that spot or are you just going to get the ground to where it needs to be no matter what because that's where you want the food plot to be?
2: Yeah, typically it's the latter. Um, I mean, most properties um, that, that we hunt or I've walked and, and, and whatnot. Um, the, the land or the topography kind of dictates what makes sense from a, a location standpoint, um, if you will, um, whether it's a, an, an opening in the woods that's already created and you can do a little chain to open up a little bit or a field edge or, a, um, or what have you. And then from there, you know, we, we make it into, the domain we want it to be, if you will. Uh, I've, I've never tested a plot and it was a five and they're like, well, we're going to move on to the next one and not plant this. And it was more or less just how much lime do we put down? Um, and also too, to, to, uh, to the point I made earlier, just because your pH is low doesn't mean that season to wash. Um, while it takes time for lime to break down and amend the soil, there are some plant varieties that don't require the nutrients that others do. So, like a a chicory and some varieties of clover, um, your oats, your rye, um, plants like that, buckwheat, they, they can grow and and do quite well in more acidic soils. So it doesn't mean that your season's a wash and you can't do anything. Um, it just means you may have to uh, plant a specific plant variety or mix, um, that first year to, uh, you kind of work to amend your soil.
0: So are there any, uh, Seeds or mixes out there that are actually going to put some pH levels back into the ground after you plant them to help maintain yes, it, I mean, and raise your and raise your pH.
2: There are actually different plants that help help with soil. Buckwheat's a big one. Um, buckwheat is a, a soil you know improver, so booster. Um, but there's a bunch of plants like balanza and crimson clover will do that. Um, help assist with your soil. Spring triticale will um, even rye. Grain rye will help amend your soil. So none of them are going to take it from a five to a seven, um, but they can all work together and kind of help improve your soil. Um, and then plants like radishes and, and turnips and long taproots can pull nutrients into the upper level of the soil. So there are different plants that will help uh, amend your soil um, in that kind of that transition year, if you will, when you're putting lime down and your pH is low, um, buckwheat can be a, a one that's that's really really valuable
1: so now my question would be now if you let's say you do your soil test you see that you're at a five um mm-hmm. when when do you believe is the best time to put lime down to affect it you know to get that ph up uh, most effective now when yesterday yesterday okay
2: <laughs> yeah i so, mean it's a uh, while we'd like it to completely change the complexion of soil immediately even if you use the fast-releasing pelleted line, it is months, not days, and pulverized egg lime is over the course of a year.
0: Okay. So, okay. And so, is it something a, that that you're putting on and spreading on the fields after you till it, after you spray it and kill the weeds? You know what what part of the process is it? I guess um, after the dirt's turned, before the dirt's turned. Uh, yeah,
2: I mean, there's there's no wrong way. Uh, I mean, my my view on flu plotting is there really is no right and wrong, um, but my preferred method is to till it into the soil. Okay, that's, that'll assist with activation and, and kind of get it working as quickly as possible.
0: Okay, makes sense, and that and that's uh, great for us. You saying that there's no right and wrong is great for us because we feel we feel like we're ah. doing it wrong sometimes, but um, no, that I that's. Mean, yeah.
2: The longer you food plot, the more you learn. Um, there is no such thing as being an expert. Mother nature dictates everything at the end of the day. So like I said, I, I don't see things in black and white when it comes to food plotting. I'm more in the gray area that everybody kind of has their own method and way of doing it. Um, their, their own way of application and their preferred plant varieties and what have you. So it's, I think if you're willing to learn, um, then, I mean, every year you're going to get better and better. Um, but I don't think there is a right or a wrong way necessarily.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what we've found. Um, our property is is has set up where our deer do, prefer, don't prefer brassicas or turnips. We've tried them multiple times, uh, different varieties. We've tried sugar beets. They just, for some reason, don't
0: like them. They, they'll eat the green leafy top, but then... You know, right when brassicas are going to get good and you know um, release those sugars, they just they don't touch them anymore, and we we don't know why.
2: That's interesting, but not uncommon. Um It's funny. Um, deer deer can be fickle. They're like humans. Um, I mean, we've got we have a ton of success with radishes. Radishes have always kind of been um, the food food source of choice, and our neighbors. Um, and I mean, we're talking 100 acre parcels. So not far away, turnips are their preferred selection. So it's a, it's funny how deer operate. Brassicas can be a kind of a learned food source, if you will, uh, because if they're eaten too early, they can have a very bitter taste. So sometimes it's a learned flavor, uh, but it's like coffee. Once you, uh, once you get the itch, it's something you need every day type of thing. Uh, okay. and that's why, that's why a lot of our mixes, we blend warm and cold season food sources together to ensure that regardless of what your deer's preferred palate is, um, they should be in there, you know, from year round if it's available. But, so there, uh,
0: there's going to be something in there that they're going to eat, if, even if they don't prefer the absolutely. the radish or the, the sugar beet or the turnip or whatever it may be. They're going to be in there eating all the other stuff. And then at that point, they'll, they'll dive into what's left over.
2: Have you ever considered lightly killing up your brassica field like late fall? No. Nope. Unear- unearthing some of those plants? But we no.
0: will. But we
1: will. I mean, hey, I like sitting in the tractor. So that's something we would absolutely try. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not, again, I, I've had folks who've had struggles with deer. They, they won't eat my turnips, et cetera. And I've had guys go in, kind of say that early December period when the greens are, have been eaten down and, and all the left are bulbs and lightly disc up that soil and completely unearth the, the radishes and the turnips um, that killing will attract the deer to the plot and then the, that open you know availability to the whole plant so taproot sometimes encourages consumption or, or you know getting a bite and next thing you know they're ravaging the whole plot so if you're having issues, it might be something worth trying.
0: Okay, that's an interesting concept that we've actually never even thought about doing before. So, that's awesome information to have.
1: Once deer, once like for us, once you know November hits and the past the rut, we don't tractors don't come out anymore. That's just that's kind of what we've always done. We try to focus on on hunting. But if that that's a really good idea, yeah, make it easier for them and
2: you know that. Yep, and I'm you're... not saying it's fail safe, and you might do it and be like. Oh, this guy didn't know what he was talking about, but <laughs> I, I, I've i heard it work wonders too. So, okay,
1: I mean, it makes sense. You make it easier for them, you bring that food up to the surface, and they don't have to work for it. And then they realize they like it. And the next year, that's they won't stay out of those fields.
2: Once they get a flavor for it, I tell you what, I I mean, they'll ravage the whole plot in a matter of days. So, uh, it's, it's just a matter of, of a learned behavior for some deer, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, I that's a that is something that we will, we've got a bunch of plots that we are opening up and doing kind of te- our test plots. And I think that'd be a, there you go. that's exactly what we want to do. See what our herd responds to. And I think that's, and it's, that's the, that's something we will do this year for sure.
2: I'm excited to see the results. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the next thing that I want to talk about is, you know, we, we touched on it a little bit, um, but what determines what you're going to plant in a certain area? So like a shady area versus somewhere that's wide open and gets a whole bunch of sun. Like, for instance, I have I have a buddy who just had some of his property select cut. And so he's dying to get down in there because it's he, he's got one spot that, you know, less than a, it's probably a quarter acre. And he thinks it's in a honey hole, but he really wants to put some food down in there because now that the, the sunlight's able to get in there a little bit, but it, at the same time, it's select cut, so it's still going to be a little bit shady, that type of thing. Like, what What's the, what's your determining factor on when, what you plant and where?
2: Yeah, so that's, a, that's a great question, and it's a question we get often. I mean, right now is, I mean, the last two months is kind of, is a fun time for us because we get just a ton of questions. People kind of get amped up, ready to get on the tractor and plant. Um, and to your point, shade in a lot of areas will dictate, when we plant so um, whether it's a logging road or a backwoods plot anything that's that's semi-shaded or has the potential to be quite shaded we like to plant before the canopy Um, basically what that means is that those plants can germinate and grow and maximize or capitalize on photosynthesis to establish roots and and all those things that are super important for them to sustain and be healthy throughout the rest of the year with minimal sunlight Um, if you plant some of those backwoods plots that can be super shaded later in the year when there's a a full canopy what happens is that plant will germinate it will grow and it'll get a long stringy stem and then eventually that plant will fall over because it just can't um, photosynthesize like it, it can in the spring so we always say, even if it's a plot you plan on hunting later in the year, um, not just a food source, but a hunt-over food plot. We like to plant those semi-shaded backwoods ones in the spring prior to the canopy, so those plants can maximize photosynthesis. Even when it comes to
0: now, like your turnips and, and and stuff that you would normally plant, like later in you know later late if, June, yeah, or yeah, July, I mean, August. In
2: the, if it's a, if it's a shaded food plot. Um, planting it later in the year, you're not going to probably get those turnips to maturity anyways, because they won't have the sunlight to do so. Um, so in our, in the most shaded spot, um, we're typically recommending like our hot chick mix or our no BS mix, which incorporates clover, some chicories, and some oats and some, some brassicas, some rape um, and, and trying to establish them prior to the canopy. Now in areas that are, are not fully shaded, Um, then that gives you opportunity to kind of do whatever you'd like. For instance, most areas that aren't shaded, if we're not planting like beans or row crops of some sort, then our our comeback hit or uh, hot chicks are going in now or or here this spring, those cold season perennials. Um, We like to establish those in the spring. It gives us a chance to allow those to, you know, take root and grow and be established for this year. And then, uh, July and August is kind of when we focused on those, those hunt over Brassica mixes, um, your rape, your tail, uh, your radishes, your turnips, oats, winter wheat, winter peas, things of that nature. So a lot of times it, it relies on plant maturity and or shade. Okay. As far as when we plant. Awesome.
0: That's, and it makes sense too, like you said, getting down to the science of it, you're talking photosynthesis and everything like that. If you sit down and think about it, all plants need sunlight. So if you can get it in before the canopy, you're going to be, you're going to be much better off. So um, explain, go into a little bit more detail about like your, your early, your early food plots versus your like late season food plots. Like what? What makes yeah. a difference? Just you know, besides just the like the seed. plant, varieties, plant and, and, varieties and what and you guys,
1: uh, you know, personally, what you know, what is your you know? I guess everyone probably asks, well, what should I plant? What's the best one out there? Like, <laughs> That's probably one of your most common questions, but um, yeah,
0: and probably the most difficult to answer. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a loaded one.
2: Man. You're gonna be yeah. wrong a
1: hundred percent of the time
2: because absolutely. It, yep. Yep. It's Those are. Those are the hardest questions. I, I, I'm glad you asked the question because it's the hardest one to answer. Um, even when we're planting our own property, it's so hard to answer because your brain immediately goes like, oh, you're going to hunt over it? Perfect. Let's plant big sections, which for us is turnip, radish, kale, and rape. Uh, however, I tell you what, when I, when it's late November and I'm looking at my property, my, my cold season perennial plots are as green as anything our clover and our kickery plots, they're as green as anything. So I think those are overlooked hunt plots. Um, I mean, deer always need greens to help kind of even out their diet. Uh, They always do. They always need them. And they're always going to seek out that green source. So it's such a loaded question. I'm just going to muddy the waters because there's (laughs) there's no right answer. There really isn't. Um, The right answer is to maximize your food on your property, however you can do it and make sure you've got plenty of plant diversity in doing so. Um, and the reason I say that is um, deer are like humans. I mean, they prefer a buffet-style meal where um, they've got options because as the seasons change, their needs change. Um, right now they're seeking on greens. They need protein. They're going to need protein all spring and summer as fawns are developing and antlers are developing and all those things that protein is kind of the catalyst behind that. And then as we approach uh, breeding season or the rut, as we call it, uh, deer are going to burn. I mean, ducks can lose 30 to 40 pounds. They don't eat every day, but they'll drink water every day. Um, So they'll lose 30 to 40 pounds. So coming out of that, energy becomes the catalyst. So um, your your rooted plants, your turnips, your radishes, your rubeggas, your sugar beets, your corn, your beans, those become the catalyst. So if you're missing any of the pieces uh, to the puzzle and your fridge is empty, you're going to go to the neighbors to find the food they need. So, um, like I said, I, I hate to pigeonhole myself and pick a specific mix because the reason ours have so much variety in them is because deer need that variety. Um, and, and I think your property does too. So uh, what might be a hunt plot for one person is a food plot for another and vice versa. So we, we try to, we try to have plenty of cold season perennials. So our clovers and chicories, Um, we have plenty of late season foods, so our rapes, our turnips, our kales, our radishes, our rutabagas. And then we also plant row crops too. We've got some corn and beans um, to make sure that we've got all of our bases covered. Um, And I tell you what, if you don't believe in cold season perennials, uh, the clovers and chicories, your property is probably void of food right now. Uh, whereas those that do believe in them, it's the first thing to green up in the spring. I mean, that's where all the deer and turkeys are right now. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah we, we, there's we've a noticed. Rabbit
2: hole to go, I just went down a forever one before then. So. I can,
1: I can, if, if somebody doesn't believe in, uh, in clover, I can send about 50,000 cell camera pictures of a herd of deer every single night.
0: These last couple of weeks is that everything has started to green up. And one thing that we've, found has worked really really well is actually frost seeding our clovers um and some of our perennial plots can, can you touch on that at all on like how the frost seeding works why it's so powerful and and why it's so easy if you will
2: yeah um i mean people have been frost seeding for, for forever uh, but it i feel like it's kind of a new phenomenon in the food plot category, at least in the last few years. And, um, first I'm going to uh, kind of tackle the myth. Um, you can't go into a, a field of CRP and broadcast in clover and expect it to be successful. Um, so it's not, I mean, it's not magic, um, uh, but it is to your point. I mean, it, it, it can be super easy. Um, and anything about frost seeding is it doesn't require disturbing the soil in the spring. Um, and the reason why that's important is anytime we disturb the soil, we likely unearth weed seeds that have been laying dormant for hundreds of years, potentially. Um, and with that sun and rain, they germinate really well and grow fast and, and can be a, a challenge in the spring. Uh, frost seeding, um, whether it's into an already established clover or tickory plot, or one of my favorites is last year's brassica plot that's been eaten down to the dirt. Um, we'll go in the spring and, and we'll frost seed clovers and chicories. That's my favorite thing to frost seed, um, those cold season perennials. Uh, and we'll frost seed those into last year's food plot. And the way it works is we try to look at kind of that, um, that window of weather where it thaws during the day and it freezes at night for a, a, a period of, say, 7 to 10 days. Uh, and what happens is uh, the soil will actually expand and contract as it melts, as it thaws and then freezes and thaws and then freezes. And it naturally pulls those seeds into the soil, creating perfect seed-to-soil contact and kind of housing those seeds there until soil temps uh, warm up, up into the 60s or, or low 70s, sometimes even in the 50s. But typically 60s, is kind of the golden range. And those seeds, they won't freeze. Um, that's why we choose you know, the clovers and chicories that we do because they won't freeze. They'll just sit there and hang out until the timing is right and soil and weather temps are, are warm enough and they'll germinate, and grow without you disturbing a soil. And that's critical because or candy, because then those seeds can kind of outgrow any competition. Um, it fills in really nicely. Like I said, in current established plots or in um, like last year's brassica plot, and it can be a, a really neat way to um, establish a, a perennial food plot. Awesome.
0: That's yeah, we've, we've, definitely played around with that a little bit the last couple years and we've seen really really good results we've mostly into existing existing clover plots plots. um that you know clover chicory plots that we've done before we've actually never tried it in existing um like turnip or brassica type plots so that's or
1: crp i mean we have you know like you mentioned that could work you could get some growth out of that um a hundred acres of our property is uh Was at one point CRP, so it's all open grassland area, and um, you know it's it's not easy to turn that into food plots. It's a lot of work to take
0: thirty years of.
2: That (laughs) that
1: would be the other thing.
0: Have you done that? Have you done (laughs) control
2: burns? Uh, Me personally, no. Um, I've been on properties that have. Um, I didn't light the flame, but uh, burning is probably the best thing you can do for soil that there is
0: expand on that like what makes it so great
2: yeah and i mean it, it adds um nutrients organic matter it generates regrowth um it's just a really healthy i mean it, it really is mother nature's way of kind of um, starting over hitting re- the reset button. really yeah. yeah honestly yes it is i mean look at look at old look at all west when they don't have fires what happens um, I mean, and when they do have fires, what happens, all the, all the mule deer and elk flock to the, the burned areas because it's the first place to, to regrow fresh greens. And um, yeah, I mean, burning, burning areas is really, really good for the soil from, um, from that standpoint. It is, it's Mother nature's reset button.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. It's something that we, we've definitely talked about. Um, it's just, it's a huge undertaking. Um, yeah,
2: we're not, they don't trust me with the fire. We
1: don't have good luck. Um, you know, we don't, we'd burn down (laughs) half of our County. That'd be our luck. I'd be the same. <laughs> no, I, I don't, you don't want to be anywhere near yeah, us no. if we've got a torch and a bunch of fields.
0: I would hire somebody to do that that's, yeah. you know, a lot better at it than I am. Because I can light a match, 100%. I just can't stop it.
2: Yeah. So. Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is better at it than I am. Yeah, no? that's, that's absolutely
1: right. So I guess kind of then what we want to talk about is, is what's what's your strategy on, you know, placing food, food plots next to egg fields? Because you said that you, you do put in egg fields, you know, corn and beans and and, that, and what's your strategy with, you know, incorporating those two, you know, a, a traditional deer food plot next to egg fields? How are you, you know, how are you doing that to, to best maximize the egg plot and the food plot?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of us, um, I, I can't speak for everybody because I haven't always done it my whole life. But oftentimes we're hunting properties that have large destination egg fields that attract deer, whether it's corn or beans or both. Um, the hard part about giant tracts of eggs is hunting it. Um, you see a lot of deer, perhaps, but your opportunity rate is very, very low because even a, a field thats five acres, let alone 50 acres, um, I mean deer can access it from every possible direction. So um, the beautiful thing about the food plots that we plant and offer, is we use them as transition plots um, to help kind of direct traffic, if you will. So um, position-wise, I mean, again, we're less strategic on the position of them because of the farms we hunt. The property dictates kind of the location the plot goes in. Um, However, both of our egg fields have – I mean, there's transition plots that are probably a half acre to – three quarters of an acre, uh, on both sides. So we'll hunt, we'll hunt the necessary wind and, and make sure we've got plenty of variety plants in those plots. And what happens is the does will, will tend to stage in those plots. We'll start in the evening, kind of working through those plots as they enter the egg field and where there's does there's bucks. So for us, I mean, it, it increases our opportunity or our chance, um, to get a close encounter because of the way they're positioned adjacent to egg instead of trying to guess what part of that 50 acre bean field, uh, your number one's going to enter that night. So, um, that's kind of how we, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's the yeah. basis behind those use plots, it, their transition plots. use it to your advantage. Use it while as a you're hunting. Yep. Yep. Guide the deer to where you want them to be. It's kind of, kind of the philosophy, um, And it's not, you're not competing with the corn and egg. You're using it to your advantage. How, how can you direct traffic so that the highway happens to go right below your deer stand? Um, and like I said, from a, from a location standpoint, uh, that's the harder to dictate because like I said, the properties we hunt, um, there's kind of a right of way slash clearing, um, ones on like the Southwest corner and the other ones on the Northwest corner or Northeast corner. Um, so that's what we plant because that's what we have available um and then we just play the wind you know based on the wind you kind of have an idea of how they may access it that night and uh, and just hope the right one walks by so when you're when you're using these
0: food plots are you using them as a buffer to the big egg so let's say it's 10 yards wide by you know 50 yards long or whatever maybe or are you actually you know seeding into the egg field or how do, how do you how are you
2: using that so historically we haven't seeded into the egg field because we rented it out so um that he would you know he would kind of own that field however we're in the process of transitioning one of our 20 acre fields into a habitat so it'll go into like a pollinator program and switch and trees and 10 acres of food and in that instance and, and a lot of Folks we work with will plant beans, for instance, um, in say two acres. Oftentimes, then in that scenario, we will seed into the actual egg portion of the plot because graze pressure dictates that we need more food. Um, or from a strategic standpoint, like you can broadcast, like our green machine, which has winter wheat, Arctic oats, some rape, um, some brassicas in it, into beans in September. Um, as those beans brown sunlight hits the seed seed hits soil you've got green growth in between the rows of your soybeans so that can be an extremely effective way to maximize food throughout the year too um this will be the first year we finally get to do it in our in our major field because we'll now own all the space so um so basically as as
0: those soybeans are starting to brown out the deer move away from them Um, depending on the time of the year so going back in and getting that green food source back it just keeps them there longer and and, and keeps them coming in
2: yep yeah and I mean for the most part I mean most us included outside like I said we have that one big egg field, but for the most part I mean not everyone is, is is planting 10 20 acres of beans it's an acre of beans or two acres of beans even three acres of beans and in most places, that's not enough.
0: Um, we found I mean, that out. Deer,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the hard it, way. <laughs> it, yep, that's the case. We you know. So
0: last year we planted a you know a, a three acre bean field, thinking this is going to be awesome when it comes to muzzleloader season here in Wisconsin as the temperatures drop and the pressure is off yep. of the nine day deer gun season. And I went out to you know sit in one of the stands and walk through the field just to. Look at it. There wasn't a single bean pod left on there. I couldn't. I couldn't find a bean, and I didn't do what you're talking about. So I didn't have. Th- yep. I didn't have that green food source where they would have eaten that and kept the pressure off of the bean pods and saved that for when they absolutely need it when it's super super cold.
1: Yeah, ten days before that opener of gun season, I shot my my big buck um, out of a bean field. Um, so you know, it, in those ten days, they went from having a food source to nothing. And Tim sat that same stand. Didn't, I saw sixty deer opening day, opening morning, um, in that one bean field. And Tim sat it ten days later, and there wasn't a, a, a I single bean. I, yeah,
0: I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't find. A, I couldn't find a bean, or and I couldn't find a deer. Yeah. So I, I, it totally resonates with what you're talking about on you know, taking some of the pressure off of your egg field, and, and putting in that green plot because like you said earlier, green plots help them just. They they need the greens. So if they're already coming into that bean field, put some green food source in there and they'll, they'll continue to, to stay.
2: Yeah, I, I never want to give them a reason to leave. I can tell you that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know? S- especially when you have a big one that you're hunting, you you want to try to keep them on your property.
2: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if your fridge is empty, they're going somewhere else where the fridge is full. Right. I mean, that, so, I guess that's, um,
1: a, that we're, we're expanding our bean plots this year. We just have found that beans on our property um, it's the best holding power we have. Uh, our property doesn't, it's not a great early season property. It never has been, but when the rut hits and things get cold and, and post-rut, every single deer in the area is on our property. Pretty much, it feels like it, it feels like <laughs> it pretty much full time. Yeah. Um, and That's we, up. we got seven years of, of pictures to kind of back us up on that. So we've just found that beans are, they have the best holding power for us, um, through the tough season, uh, you know, gun, muzzle loader, and then po- and then late season bow, um, so we're expanding our bean plots. But we've got a couple transition areas between, you know, beans and clover that we will overseed um, some green into those beans, uh, beans to to kind of have some extra food there. That's a great idea. That's something we've never thought of, and it's so simple.
2: And, and yeah, I mean, we go ahead. Oh, I was to say we use that strategy a lot uh, because. Um, we have a lot of, of, of folks we know that will plant an acre of beans and we always they'll ask us, so should I plant an acre of beans? And we say, well, I mean, experts would tell you no, because it's not enough. However, we're going to tell you yes, as long as you have a plan. Um, an acre of beans is probably not enough food. However... We know the the attractiveness of beans, so just make sure you've got a plan to go in and overseed brassicas of some sort, you know, in August or September in those eat down areas, or you know, into the into the plots of the browns. You'll add an additional green to maximize longevity and food. So uh, that's where I, I go back to. There's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, there's just different ways to do it. Absolutely.
0: Another question that I have for you: um, I've heard you say I've heard you say food plot, and I've heard you say hunt plot. Is there a difference to you? <laughs> and are you planting food plots for a specific buck, or you know, a, a food plot for the does so that when the does are there, the bucks are there during the rut? Or you know, like what's the difference?
1: Like a kill plot, you hear yeah. that a lot. Kill, kill
0: plots, plot. Yeah. <laughs> food plot, yeah. hunt plot, kill plot. What's the difference yeah. in your eyes?
2: No, for sure. So. I've never set up a property for a buck. Um, I always set up for gross because I know what happens when, when they stick around uh, for the most part. But yeah, I, I do reference plots as hunt plots or kill plots or food plots. That's because some of the plots that we plant, we never hunt. Um, we've got some bean fields and we've got a bunch of clover and chicory that we will never hunt um, just because it access or, you know, the location However, those high-protein food sources uh, are critical to, you know, all the things we love, healthy deer and bigger antlers and, and all those things. And deer in April, May, June, July, August, September, um, mature deer, any deer, are, are comfortable almost anywhere. Um, so a lot of those food plots, you can call it, are kind of the open areas um you I mean two fields right next to our cabin just places that deer are comfortable hanging out in prior to fall prior to hard horn uh, where they can maximize their their protein intake so i call those food plots um whether that's the right term or not that's what i call them and then hunt plots are some of those strategically located plots um that we that we hunt over they're, they're planted for us to uh, they're they're normal staging areas or, or rut funnels or runways that we hunt during a rut. We know they're going to be deer in there and, and we plant those in, you know, July or August to provide November, December food. So we can get those does to come in and stage there in the rut and, and the bucks follow. So right, wrong or otherwise, um, like I said earlier, I, I don't like to pick a plant variety and call it a food source, not a hunt over food source because then I'm wrong. So, um, my house is kind of reference how we set up our property and some of the plots are never hunted, so I call them food plots.
0: Sure. Makes sense. Makes total sense. So what's your yeah. what's your um theory, if you will? Not theory, I guess, but what's Uh-oh. your Uh-oh.
2: no your thoughts.
0: <laughs> your thoughts on um you know food plots near water sources or like putting a, putting a water source in the, in the middle of your food plot or your hunt plot or whatever it may be, you know whether that water source was there or you or you dug it in or, or whatever. Um, how important is it to have
2: that water source? Man, I tell you what I, I sell food plots for a living, but I don't know if there's anything more important than access to water. Um, I mentioned it earlier when we were chatting, um, but a buck during the rut might not eat for a dang month, but he's gonna drink water every single day. Um, so I, I don't think we can you know state the importance of water enough. Um, so I mean, whether you're fortunate to have it naturally occurring, or even if you do, if you can position it more strategically. Um, I'm all for it. I, I, you know, I, I love digging in water holes, um, kind of, you know, in a food plot, whether it's some of those, um, kind of trenched in, you know, dugout type of food or uh, water holes on the edge of a food plot, but I'm a, I'm a a major proponent of it. Um, and I, I mean, all animals will benefit from the water source readily available. And I mean, Food, water, shelter. Those are the three things that you need. And honestly, you can impact all three of them. So, you know, if you, if you can, why don't you? What are you
0: What are you doing on the shelter side? Switchgrass? I mean, is that a big thing that you guys are using to, to add cover?
2: Yes. Yeah, so in our, uh, it's going to be fun. So over the next probably three years or so, Um, We'll be completely converting a 20-acre egg field into habitat. So we'll have a pollinator program in there. We'll have 10 acres of food. And then we'll have seven to nine acres of uh, cover, if you will, Um, like a shelter belt that has some cedars and some um, some spruce. And I'd I'd have to get a whole listing of the different types of trees we're going to put in. And got some switch grafts. We're going to mix in some of our incognito to kind of provide a buffer as that switchgrass grows. Switch can take t- some time to establish. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a some, some diverse, diverse ways to create cover. Um, we do do some hinge cutting too. Uh, we've done some clear cutting as well and, and like little, little acre chunks. Um, so just a bunch of different ways to try to improve our habitat. Um and you know some I know some people don't like hinge cutting because you' you're cutting down healthy trees, but uh, we've had a lot of success with it in the areas we've done it in.
0: Yeah,. yeah I, I, mean, more covers, I think so. that's becoming one of the big things nowadays is you see a lot of it on YouTube and and all the big guys on, of, on social media guys yeah. are, are hinge cutting. And, but there um, is there is yeah. a
1: right way to do it, and there is a wrong way to do it. And that's, that's the important thing if you, if you're going to hinge cut, know what you're doing. Otherwise you're because it you know, could be devastating. You could, yeah, you could just wipe out an entire area of cover.
2: I would recommend having someone come and do it for you. If you're not sure, uh, to your Absolutely. point. Um, cause I mean, if you do it right, technically those, those trees should live for another five to seven years. Mm-hmm. So not only do they provide cover, but they provide food that's accessible. Um, so
0: the buds uh, and the brows and everything like that, they can eat absolutely. right right in their bedding yep. area, which is
2: great. We which is critical. They they need that woody brows too in their in their guts for digestion. So that's it's a, a huge part, part of their source. diet. We limbed absolutely. out
1: a we limbed out a, a silver maple tree um, a couple of years ago in one of the stands. We called it our hub stand. It was right in the middle, surrounded by rubs and scrapes and stuff, and we limbed out a whole bunch of branches on that right next to one of our best food plots, and when we put those limbs on the ground, every single deer that was in that food plot, the- two days before was eating those brows. You couldn't. Until
0: until they were gone. Until they were gone. Because we we cut them in, like, in the spring. In the spring, yeah. We do a lot of our stand work in the spring, so we cut a few limbs, and and so they were still green and and had some buds on them, and they were just absolutely pounding them. So
1: when you're talking about hinge cutting for, you know, for brows and buds, there is a huge benefit nutritionally, and the deer will be attracted to that 100%.
2: Yeah. We've had, we've had great success with it. Honestly, we have. Um, and a lot of times we do it in locations where we don't, we don't touch those parts of the farm and we've got a a few of those spots that are kind of sanctuaries, if you will. And gosh, it's, we've had great success with it. Holding more, holding more deer that truly live on our property, um, because we've created better habitat and things of that nature. So when you're talking about your property, how,
0: how big of a property are you talking you know,
2: I I use the term mine quite relatively. Um, it's <laughs> my, I'm married into the property. So it's my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. They own connecting adjacent properties. It's totally 140 acres that okay. we get, to play, get awesome. to play on. And then I own four and a half acres that um, is a heck of a lot of fun to hunt, too. So. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So, and then we kind of want to go into, um, you know, tillage equipment so um you know for the average you know person you're you're probably talking about a you know smaller tractor smaller implements um, four-wheeler four-wheeler yeah hand rake for hand some rake. people yeah um, <laughs> you name it so you know kind of what are your thoughts behind that you know the, the benefits uh, of both do you do you guys do a lot of stuff with bigger equipment you know let's say above 60 horsepower or on, on tractor i should say um or do you guys None try of our to keep...
2: tractors are that big okay yet <laughs> the the big field project may require some bigger equipment obviously
0: it's not always uh, like you guys thing.
2: mentioned no not at all you guys talk about you guys had me all juiced up your intro got me all jacked up so <laughs> talking we, about working up 15 acres of ground and um, that's some serious ground there
1: we just so, bought uh this last winter uh, in at our, our my day job uh, my family-owned business we've got a, a two acres of blacktop that we've got to clear out and of snow and stuff. So I bought a big, uh, 90 horse. I say, I, I use the same, that term loosely. Um, <laughs> I have access to uh, a big 90 horse, uh, deer. Um, Ooh, so, awesome. so it's, you know, it was, our it was my first time running it this last weekend for tractor work, uh, blew a couple hydraulic lines, a couple seals blew. So I was, it was, uh, w-
2: so that was your $200 task was, right there. It, that was my $200 <laughs> task. It was an easy fix, but
1: it was uh, a learning experience nonetheless.
2: Yeah. That's but a lot of horsepower. It
1: is. You know, and it's, you know, we've we have spent historically um we're running a three we run John Deere on everything. Um this last weekend That's we were, we, we were running uh three tractors. Um my family owns a a 3046, so it's a 46 horsepower 3 series. Uh, and then okay. a 5090M. So it's a five series, 90 horse on the M chassis. Um, and then our buddy that's in on our property with us last week, um, our local John Deere dealer was running a good deal. So he bought a uh, 66 horsepower four series. Um, Ooh. <clears throat> I mean, if you want to talk about the perfect food plot tractor, 4066M, I would say is and that's me having access to that 90 horse, that 4066M is the best food plot tractor I've ever seen. Heck yeah. That, that, no, that's awesome. That big M's, M, is uh, it's fun, but it is not fun to move around.
2: That's, I can't imagine. Yeah, that's a big piece of equipment. I mean, we've still got small tractors, and, and sometimes it's nice for some of those small plots that we, we work on. We were thinking about upgrading to a bigger one because of a big field project, and it might be a scenario where we just add one. Um, one of us will just buy one of the others and sure. <laughs> and we'll add a bigger one because some of those smaller ones get us into those quarter acre, half acre kind of food plots back on the, I mean, you take the logging road back there and you can't fit a big tractor in
0: there. Absolutely. So, and that goes back um, to, you know, some of the small equipment that people have access to, you know, four wheelers and, and stuff like oh, that. Man, it, yeah. It, it seems like there's a lot of this is, is doable with smaller equipment versus the bigger equipment. Now, scale-wise, you're going to, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to pull off 15 acres yep. or whatever it may be, but don't let that deter you from getting out there with your four-wheeler or your hand rake and and putting some food down if you need to.
1: For 4 years we did 10 acres with a 3 series John Deere and a 5 foot rototiller. <laughs> that was me spending time in a cab time in a cab time behind a wheel uh you know I yep. I would in a weekend I would log 20 hours w- hooked up to that rototiller.
2: yeah yep
1: so I mean I would
2: say hard work pays off so
1: yeah I mean it's and it, it I it's something that I it's to me that is therapy sitting in a tractor is absolutely 100%. is my therapy um but no now we upgraded You know I luckily I have access to that stuff so we had a uh, our landowner had a a disc that was sitting in the woods. That was, I don't know when it's from, maybe the sixties, but we we pulled that. It was a 12 foot wide tandem disc. Uh, we pulled it out, got it all cleaned up, put a hydraulic ram on it to lift the wheels up and down. And that turned, uh, and then we did get a really nice fun field cultivator. Um, but then we, we turned 15 acres of dirt in probably seven hours, seven, eight hours, twice. We turned everything twice. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you you know, we, luckily we have access to that stuff, but it is absolutely doable with an ATV. The first year we did everything with an ATV. That was before we had a tractor, uh, a couple acres with an ATV. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, I like the tractors, so I'm always going to say bigger is better. Um, but there are a couple spots that I cannot get my big equipment into. I can't even get my little 3 Series into because it's got a cab on it. So we have to use a, a cabless tractor um, to access those plots. So don't let, uh, I would say to the average person out there, don't let you know a food plot deter you. Uh, don't be deterred from a food plot because you don't have access to a big tractor or a tractor at all. If you've got a hand rake and you've got the determination to put a food plot in, you could. it might be better than anything we've done um, is if you get it in the right spot
0: in getting yeah. back to that most of your your seeds, you're talking you're going to be able to put them down the average guy's gonna be able to go out there turn a little bit of dirt again with a four-wheeler or hand rake and, and get some seed in the ground and it's you don't need the big equipment for your type of seed. Correct yeah,
2: you really do yeah for sure I was gonna say I mean to your point I mean whatever you can do to you know rough up that soil, eliminate weeds and competition. And create the best seed to soil contact I'm in favor of. Um, we've planted tons of plots with, you know, landscaping rakes and steel garden rakes. Just to your guys's point, it's just a matter of how big can you go? You know, how much energy do you have? Um, and I mean, small equipment is the norm for, for most people, um, us included. I mean, up until we we added on to the property we have. I mean, we were maybe planting one or two acres of food plots total. And that was six, six micro plots combined. And at my house, um, I mean, it's, I wrote, I hand rototill the one plot and the other one I raked because of access. Um, so gosh, I, I would say if you have a little ambition, anything's possible without equipment as far as, you know, heavy equipment. So, um, having, having tractors at your disposal just allows you to, you know, turn more dirt in a shorter amount of time and create more food. So. um
1: You know, you you hear some yeah. people, you know, you talk about rototillers, right. That's kind of where, that's kind of like the new thing, right. Rototillers, everybody's using it. And I love, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, it's one pass. You're pretty much ready to plant. Um, is there any like, truth to some of the myths out there that you can overturn dirt that you know doing that rototilling will put the dirt in a position that it may not be as fertile or if you did uh you know traditional tillage
0: or going too deep with that rototiller yeah a lot going of time. too
1: deep like if you do like you know if you don't adjust the height right and you go down six inches is there any 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 validity to that you know some of those
2: i mean i haven't Again, like I said, I I don't like I'm not an expert, but I haven't had any issues with that. Uh, the only the one thing I can tell you is, um, like I said earlier, about unearthing dormant weeds. Um, you don't know where they might be and what level of the soil, and um, they're they're present. I can tell you that. So um, I, I don't know that you can over till necessarily. Um, sometimes going deeper pulls up nutrients that are, are just lying deeper in the soil. Um, but I, what I will add is, if you do pulverize the soil to that that degree where you you've really tilled it up, where if you walked through it, it would, you know, your foot would sink down to your ankle. Keep that in mind when you're planting. Um, depending on your planting method and how you do it, um, I always recommend trying to. Uh, even that out, whether it's through a, a cultivator or a roller or some sort, because there's a lot of air in that soil after you till it up and, and cultivate it. So um, that's something that you want to keep in mind when you're planting so you don't bury seeds and um, and, and fail because of that.
0: So will you, will you cultivate before you plant, before you seed? Yes,
2: yes. Yeah, outside of pH, as we discussed right away, um, seed rate and seed depth are the next two you know major failure areas that us food plotters will fall victim to um, tiny tiny seeds and if you look at those clover seeds and those rape and brassica seeds they are they're dang near microscopic so um, we want to plant those a quarter inch or, or less as your seeds get bigger your beans your your peas your corn then you can get half inch or so, but um, you gotta you gotta be cognizant of of the soil you have there. So we always we'll disc it up, we'll till it, we'll cultivate it, the packet, we'll seed it, we'll cultivate it. The packet.
1: Okay, and I guess then I guess you know talking about important things to know when you're doing a food plot. Uh, what are your thoughts on on fertilizer? Right, because you may have a great pH. Now, do you fertilize everything? When you put a food plot out, do you 100% of the time put fer- fer- uh, fertilizer down? Or do you do that based off of what you know about that area that you're that you're putting the plot in?
2: Yeah, I mean, we always do put a, we, we always put a starter fertilizer down when we plant. Um, depending on the type of uh, plant we're using, we'll, we'll vary the type of fertilizer we're using. For instance, like a corn or chicory mix, we try to use a low nitrogen fertilizer, like a 9, 30, something of that nature. As clover and chicory grows and develops, it creates its own nitrogen, so that's not as important as other things. And then with our brassica plots, typically like a standard nineteen, 19, 19 um, we'll use, and, and we, we put down a starter when we plant and then typically apply fertilizer at least one more time as those plants are established and growing. Um, I mean, where we're at, uh, it, it definitely requires a little additional nutrients to get those plants to maximize growth and forage. So um, fertilizer happens to be one of those uh, other steps that is often, whether it's overlooked or just not, not followed because it can be expensive. Um, but it, it's something that we definitely recommend. It'd be like working out and not eating afterwards.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, and it's, it's something that we don't do as well as we probably should. Um, you know, we uh, we have a couple of our properties that um, the the landowner prefers that we don't spray. We don't put any fertilizer sure. down, and we've gotten really lucky that our plots, uh, especially like our you know clover and chicory plots, those plots have just really established well, and we've been able to maintain the established uh, the established plots and keep weeds out of them by just mowing. I guess that would be the next thing is
2: is you know mowing is. As good as it gets for maintaining a clover chicory plot
1: and keeping the weeds out of it. You mow it; that'll give that that, that 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 plant a chance to grow and outcompete the the weeds.
0: How often are you are you mowing your clover and your chicory plots? I mean, are you waiting till it's six inches tall and cutting it down to two inches, or what's your what are your thoughts on that?
2: So it'll it'll tell you when it's ready. Um, we don't mow it until it's mature, and if okay. a fully mature clover plot is going to flower. So whether that's 10 inches or 25 inches, um, it'll kind of be dictated by the you know, the nutrients available to it and what Mother Nature's been doing. Um, but when it flowers, it's time to mow it. Um, a, a clover that is fully flowered or a chicory plant that is fully flowered is going to be at its mature stage, which also means it's at its lowest palatability stage, lowest level of protein, lowest digestibility. So that's a good time to mow it. Uh, Mowing, to your point earlier, helps eliminate some of those weeds, helps those clovers and chicories suffocate out bad plants, if you will. But also, those growing plants are the highest level of protein, digestibility, and palatability. So you're going to find that when you do mow it, there's probably going to be a bunch of deer and turkeys that that flock to it afterwards.
0: Absolutely. That's something that we've noticed um, just in the past that's usually when we cut it as it starts to get the little flower on there you cut it the deer and turkeys are in there like crazy for the next few days or week or whatever it may be and and then as it gets older and, and grows up come back and cut it again whatever that timeline is and it's kind of the same process how how about cutting it before like the first frost and everything like that like you always hear that you want to get it you don't want to cut it before at least with let's say alfalfa you don't want to cut it within like two weeks like well i think it's even shorter than that of the first frost because it'll kill it it needs time to grow a little bit is there any validity to that with chicory and clover as well
2: yeah i mean it's, once it's established it's pretty hardy um it's frost tolerance just pretty i mean at least and i, I can't say this for everything because there's some clover varieties that are not very frost tolerant um the ones we use however are um, but to the person's point who said that, or the, the column you read, um, once it's mowed, it's at a vulnerable state there for a little bit. Cause you, you've taken that plant and you've mowed it down to four or six inches or what have you. So it's at a vulnerable state for a bit there. So, um, so you do want to be somewhat careful, um, as to when you mow it, you don't want it to get really hot and dry afterwards or really cold afterwards, they could both impact them negatively. But for the most part, once those cold season perennials are established, um, boy, I mean, it's they're, they're pretty hardy. Wow. And, I, and I personally like to try to get one more mowing in, you know, late, um, sometime in late September or in September anyways, because of the attraction that it, that, that it creates. Okay. Yeah,
0: we've always kind of planned like the f- last week of August, first week of September is usually like maybe our move that last, back two
1: weeks. Then yeah, just you before could the
0: move that back a little bit farther. to, At least here in Wisconsin, opening weekend is usually around the fifteenth yeah. of fifteenth of September, right around in that time yeah. frame.
2: I like to get my last mowing in right before opener.
0: Okay, and then are you leaving the? You know, you mow it, you just. Leaving those that clover and stuff right on top of the uh, the new stuff coming up, like you do, yeah, you, you don't bail he, it or anything like that to get it off the field. You know,
2: you probably could. It'd be some pretty high quality stuff, but we we haven't done that. We've always just left it.
0: Okay, and you've never run into any problems with you know killing off a spot because it shades it too much or anything like that.
2: Not yet, anyways. Okay, no, that's good information. To <laughs> no, have. that's, that's I mean, great.
1: Yeah, I mean we we got we had let one plot grow up a little bit, a, a lot, probably past what it should have been last year. We got it mowed and we were lucky, knock on wood. Um, but the domain product we had on there didn't, it grew right back up through all the the, clo- the clippings that were left on it and we never had any issues. That's actually our best plot on the property right now. Um, we That's where we see most of our deer right now at this time of year. Um, so, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had any issues yet.
2: And- yeah, like you should um, admit it. It's you not like a, a
1: lawn where if you let it grow to, you know, 8 9 inches and then you cut it, you don't get a bunch of dead spots. <laughs> I've never done really. that. Haven't
2: had any, I've actually tried to kill my clover plot by mowing it down like down near to the ground and it came back stronger than ever, so Really? Man, once once they're established, that root system is 30 inches long. So, I mean, it, they're they're pretty powerful once they're established.
0: I have a question when it comes to weeds and food plots a lot of times when i pick up a bag of seed at the store or whatever it may be i turn it over i look at the ingredients and there seems to always be a certain percentage of weed seed in it mm-hmm. what is that and why is it in there can you explain that a little bit
2: yeah i, guess I don't I mean, understand it's, that it's not uncommon at all really um and, and sometimes it's um In the process of, so what happens, I mean, seeds come from fields. So, for instance, a canola seed comes from a field of canola that was grown in Oregon, harvested, cleaned, processed, um, and then bagged. Well, the likelihood of having a canola field that is 100% canola and not anything else is small regardless of what you do so there's always the the chance that there is a a weed seed um that could be present no matter how many cycles of cleaning you know that seed has gone through um so i mean typically if you see it it's a 0.02 percent um chance for a weed weed seed so i wish my math was better i could tell you how many seeds per thousand that is um (laughs) i'm embarrassed to say i can't but um, but it's not that uncommon, just because of the process of harvesting seeds and then cleaning them and you know separating them. So, um,
0: so it's not a it's not a f- a factor of uh, a food plot company adding weed seed as like a filler.
2: No, the, instead of adding weed seed as a filler, they'll just add. Um, a, they may not have cleaned or sourced their seeds, uh, appropriately, if you will. Um, so they, they may have been a, a little cheaper than others. Or B, most fillers are just very cheap seeds, like your, your rye grasses, your fescues, um, things of that nature, um, that just really low cost seed, gonna grow anywhere, doesn't provide much forage nutrition attraction type of thing um or like i said seeds that didn't go through the the appropriate appropriate cleaning processes will likely have more weeds in them
0: okay and that makes total sense i mean when i'm looking at the the back of the bag for whatever reason i always thought well why are they putting weed seed in this or (laughs) or a filler like this doesn't make any sense but that explanation yep. makes total sense. I mean, there nothing's perfect when it's come coming out of the field. So, but it also makes yeah, sense put-
1: that you want to look to yeah. make sure that the the you know the seed company that you're buying from is sourcing high quality products. I mean, that's what you guys have kind of. It seems at least when you you know you look at your you look your labels and your packaging, you check out the website. It seems like you guys have have gone way out of your way to source the absolute highest quality product that you guys can find, um, to try to make the best product on the market.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I realize that there's enough factors at play to, um, you know, where, where we don't want seed to be a concern. I mean, you've already got to worry about pH, seed depth, um, mother nature, uh, And on and on and on. So, you know, we felt like it was our job to make sure you don't have to worry about the seed from a germination standpoint and the cleanliness and all those things. So, um, you know, we've done everything we can to source the best seed we can and the cleanest seed we can. And and we've got plenty of QC involved to to make sure just because, like you said, the harvesting process and the cleaning process and and all of those things um, aren't always perfect either. So... We try to put enough checks and balances in there to make sure that what you're getting is the best you can get, and that's why that's why we like that transparent jug that keeps us honest.
1: If you okay, so I, I guess I kind of transition here to to wrapping it up. Um, where can uh, a, a customer that's interested in in uh, in food plots? Where can they go find your product?
2: Yeah. So what we what we like people to do is go to our website. We've got a dealer locator um, tab right on there that you type in your, your city, your state, or your zip. Uh, It'll locate any dealers within 25, 50, hundred or 200 miles. Um, We're, uh, we're big fans of shopping local and whatever your local retailer is. um, I mean, shopping there supports hundreds of families. Um, If you don't have one near you, we obviously do sell direct online as well. um, Free shipping on, on all orders. So, um, our goal is to get our product in your hands, however we can. So, um, so that's where that's where I'd start. www.domainoutdoor.com. We're located here in Hudson, Wisconsin. So um, pretty fast shipping all across the country, and we've got we're up to about four hundred retailer locations right now. So um, trying awesome. our best to to get as many you know as many locations as close to our customers as we possibly can. So. Do, you,
1: do you know how many states you're in now?
2: Oh boy, uh, I don't offhand. No, um, I mean, east of the Mississippi is obviously uh, the whitetail wheelhouse. So, yeah, um, sure. we're not in every we're not in every one of them, but we're in uh, quite a few of them, and and especially in the Midwest here, we're in every state in the Midwest uh, in one way or another. So, awesome. I know that if
1: I go into almost any. I'm, you know, I'm only an hour from from you guys, where you guys are located. Tim and I are only an hour in Eau Claire. Where are you at, Mike? We're in Eau Claire. Tim both and Both of us are in Eau Claire. You're both in Eau Claire. We're, oh, in just, both, in Eau Claire. we're okay. both in studio. Actually, we're together ca- across the table from each oh, look other. At that. Um Perfect. Yeah. So we're we're in Eau Claire. If I go to almost any place within 40, 50 miles that sells, you know, decent food plot, you're going to find Domain on the shelves.
0: Yeah. Whether it's a farm store or a sporting goods store, we've seen it everywhere and that that's been awesome for us because there's a couple small places uh in the town that we have property that carry it and so when we run out of seed we're like oh we need to go now so it's it's, stockman's
1: Stockmans Stockman's is the one stockman's is the one absolutely
0: they're
2: awesome so they do do a nice job yeah they really do have a,
0: a really good uh product line there so it's it's fantastic um how about absolutely instagram facebook you guys on that too
2: yeah, we're quite active on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can find us there, Domain Outdoor LLC. Um, we're not into TikTok yet or Twitter. So, <laughs> how about YouTube? You, you guys there. on YouTube at all? Yeah, we okay. we always make fun of ourselves. We do a beers and bucks on Facebook Live every about every two weeks, and we always make fun of ourselves we're we've got a ton of videos, but we're just not very good at YouTube yet. So we we've, <laughs> we've dedicated ourselves this year to putting more of our content on youtube so yeah we're on there subscribe to our page um, it's mostly educational stuff that's what we we love to do and um you know provide as much insight as we can and and show how we apply different food plots to our property whether it's logging roads or no-till or what have you so um youtube instagram facebook all three of them if
1: a, uh, a potential customer had a question, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? What would be your preferred way for them to reach out to you?
2: Eventually they probably end up with my cell number because that's how we operate. <laughs> we're, pretty per- we're pretty personal, yeah, sure. um, but you know, a message on Facebook, a message on Instagram, we've got a contact feature right on our website. Um, we are not hard to get a hold of. And we, if you don't hear back from us very soon um, it may have got lost in spam. So um, any of the above, we That's what we we live for, so um, please reach out if you have a question, a concern, a comment, any of the above.
1: I can attest to it. I am wrapping my domain shirt now with a hand. it had a handwritten message from you
2: <laughs> that I got yesterday yeah. we're we're grassroots, so we we promised ourselves that no matter where this went when we started three years ago that we were never gonna forget where we came from. so. Everything that will leave our place, we'll have a handwritten message. that, uh, and, and we mean everything we say. We, we truly appreciate everybody's really support. So um, it, we, we're lucky to be able to get to do what we love. So, awesome. A small token of our appreciation.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And, and it, it just shows the kind of guys you are, which is, I think, the best part of Domain is just you guys. It, it's, it's awesome. Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously, you have fantastic product, but it's the people behind the product. That, make, will that will make us keep on coming back at, back to it. As long as we're doing food plots and you guys have it on the shelves, we're coming back. And I would encourage anybody else, check them out, uh, domainoutdoor.com, Instagram, Facebook. Um, uh, everything that you guys put out has been absolutely top-notch. And we're so excited to have, be able to get you on the phone and, and talk to you about this stuff because it's stuff that obviously you're passionate about, you're knowledgeable about, but it's stuff that we live for uh i would say food plotting and tractor work and f- field work to me is almost as fun as sitting in a deer stand i i live yeah, for this i
2: i concur I, I i think it might even be more fun um uh, i don't think you understand it to until you that, fully yeah. kind of dive into it but Um, I don't know if my wife would agree, but for (laughs) me, I mean, it, it extends my season almost year round now.
0: And, um, I I love seeing the, the hard work pay off, whether, is there
2: anything better than that? No, whether
0: you shoot a big buck over that food plot or you come back and you see 20 does out there feeding, whatever your success (laughs) level is. I mean, that to me is the best part is I put this here because I thought it would work and Holy cow, it's actually working. That's a really
2: good feeling. So I don't think you can explain the feeling until you've done it. Honestly. Exactly. Um, Cause you bust your, your tail, you put in the time, the weekends, the evenings, whatever it was, the money. And then to do the work and see the result. I, I'd say, what, there's, there's not much more gratifying experience. And then if you're lucky enough to harvest an animal, that just, that's icing on the case, you know? So it's, it's fun. Um, and I mean, we're lucky too. I mean, through domain and through food, flying, hunting, we have to meet and hang out with cool people like you guys. And next time we're gonna do it in person. So yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, that'd we'll be have awesome. you down into the studio. That's be even better. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, we—that's we, that's our why. So. Yeah.
0: Well, again, we really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us. Um, you got any other questions for Mike?
1: No, uh, yeah. Mike. No, I don't have any questions. <laughs> but I—I'm sure we can arrange uh, that John Deere 5090 down on your property. If it needs to be there, I've got, I've got, I've got fair, I've got free weekends. As long as my wife's not Careful listening to what this, you wish for. <laughs> I've got free weekends. Um, so I, I am sure we can arrange a little trip, a little, uh, excursion with the big, the big girl. And, and she definitely likes to turn dirt. So I'm, I'd we be more than happy that
2: to far do it. From a player. No, no, no it's I'm just, close.
1: hundred percent. I've got, I got buddies that one of our other really good buddies hunts over in Boysville, So it's, it's a place that we go quite frequently.
2: Yeah, that's where the property is. Careful, we might take you up on that. No, I'm all about it. 100% I'm all about
0: it. Yeah, we're in for sure. Well, thanks again, Mike. Uh, We'll chat soon, and and good luck uh, food planting this year and hunting.
2: Thanks, guys. The pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me
0: on. Absolutely. Take care.